Hey, good morning, New Life Church. So glad that you've joined us here online. If you're joining us for the very first time, so glad that you found us as well. I'm back to preaching in an empty sanctuary here on a Saturday morning. Many of you are watching this Sunday morning when I'll be preaching this message again to a room uh, full of people. Uh, we're, we're meeting in person again Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock. And if you'd uh, feel comfortable to come on out, we'd love to have you worship with us in person. We have limited capacity, 125 people uh, for the service here through the month of August. And uh, registration is required, so you can go on our website and you can register there to join us on a Sunday morning here in person. Uh, all right, well, just to kind of bring you up to speed on some church news, which we sometimes do here. Uh, on Friday, Roberta and Fernando got married. So congratulations, Roberta and Fernando. Uh, we just pray God's blessing on you as you begin this, this new stage in your life together. Uh, on that same day, Friday uh, night, Mabel Anderson uh, peacefully passed away in her sleep at the ripe old age of 101. And so maybe you don't know Mabel, but uh, she's more famously known as, as Betty Ann Semler's mom. And uh, so Mabel was the oldest uh, member in this church, and now she's with Jesus. And so uh, let's just support the, uh, the Semler family in prayer. That service is gonna take place Friday here at the church at two o'clock in the afternoon. And again, because it's limited capacity up to 125, if you want to attend, you just need to go onto our website and register there as well to come uh, to that funeral service Friday at two o'clock. All right, so for you kids that are watching at home, the word of the week is grace. If you count the number of times I use the word grace in my message, have your parents email or call that into the office. You were gonna give you Bible bucks that you you can use to buy some cool stuff at our New Life Kids store. All right, if you're with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, through the summer, together we're going through the Ten Commandments one by one. Now, when we set out a while back, we wanted to make very clear at the beginning what the Ten Commandments are. We don't want to misunderstand what these commandments are. What the Ten Commandments are not is a roadmap of how to get to heaven that if we just do them good enough, we will be acceptable to God. That's not what these commandments are. It's not a roadmap to heaven, not at all. Uh, we are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ by God's grace. We are set free from the power and the penalty of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. But now that we are set free through faith in Christ, God wants us to live free, to live the life that we were created to live. And so we've called this series Set Free to Live Free. What does it look like to live the good life? And so God gives us this guide, these 10 commandments, and we're going through them together one by one this morning. We're gonna look at the sixth command. Now, as I was looking at the sixth command uh, this week, I realized that if it wasn't for this command, I wouldn't be a Canadian citizen. I'd probably be a German citizen. I'd be German, and I would live in Germany, and I would speak German, and I would eat sauerkraut, and Wiener schnitzel, and I'd go yodeling in the Alps, maybe, and I'd wear lederhosen, and okay, I've just embarrassed myself. I'm gonna stop there, but maybe... Uh, if it wasn't for the sixth command, today I'd be dressed like this. Yes, believe it or not, that is me. A number of years ago, I'm highly embarrassed. As a young pastor in a different town, I actually walked through Main Street in the town parade dressed like that. Can you believe it? Like, would you go to a church of a pastor that dressed like that? 
probably, I'm not sure what I was thinking wearing my later hosen there. But if it wasn't for this command, I'd probably be living in Germany right now. Like many of you, if your ancestors were, were much like my ancestors, and if you have a Mennonite background, then, um, then, then your ancestors much like mine, lived in Germany. And at some point, a number of hundred years ago, they opened their Bible and they found these words. What words did they find? They found these words in Exodus 20, verse 13, the sixth command of the Ten Commandments, you shall not kill. And when they read those words, they took those words very seriously. And because of those words and their conviction, they decided that they would never ever be involved in violence against another human being. They would never bear arms for any reason. And so they would not enlist in the army, be involved in the military. And because of that conviction, the nations in which my ancestors lived uh, kind of persecuted and applied pressure on them. And my ancestors fled to different lands where they could live peaceably, not have to bear arms. And, and they refused to defend themselves because of this command. And so instead of defending themselves from persecution, they would just flee to a new place. And so a uh, hundred and some years ago, my ancestors left Ukraine like many of yours did. If you're from a Mennonite background and they got on a ship and they ended up in Southern Manitoba where they could follow this command according to their conscience and live peaceable lives. So it's because of these words, these four simple yet deeply profound words that, that I'm a Canadian as are many of you. Do not kill. But, but my question is, is that really what it says. What I want to do this morning, really three things. What does the command say? Secondly, what does the command mean? And thirdly, how do we live out this command today? Those three questions I want to address this morning. Now, depending what Bible you're using, you're going to see maybe a different word there, okay? If you're right now using the King James Version or maybe another uh, version like it, you will find Exodus 20 verse 13 to say, you shall not kill. But if you're using a version like mine, the NIV, New International Version, it says, you shall not murder. Now, when we think of those two words, kill, murder, we gotta recognize that that's not exactly the same thing. There is a difference there, right? To, to kill, the word kill is, a, is simply just a biological term. Right, that it, it's the ending of the life of a living thing, a living organism is to kill. And so we can say something like the cheetah kills the gazelle, right? Or COVID can kill vulnerable people or, or an explosion like that terrible explosion in Lebanon this week. That explosion killed many people. So that word is, is more just kind of a biological term, but the word mo- murder is different, right? The word murder is a moral term. The word murder speaks to whether a killing is justified or unjustified, whether it's right or wrong. So to murder is to kill wrongfully. It's immoral. So there's a difference there uh, between do not kill and do not murder. So, So the first question is, well, what does it actually say? What does it say, Exodus 20, verse 13? Now, of course, uh, those words were written in Hebrew, not English, and that Hebrew word, which is used at, uh, many times throughout uh, the Bible, always refers to what we would consider murder, 
kind of in the intentional, unlawful, immoral killing of a human being. And so probably the best translation of the sixth command is you shall not murder. It speaks of intentional or sometimes unintentional but reckless acts that lead to the death of another person. Now in English we, 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 we have first degree murder which is premeditated murder and second degree murder which isn't premeditated but it's the willful ending of another's life and then we have manslaughter right which is not intentional but it's, it's, it's to cause another person's death because of maybe neglect and so or, or, or negligence we find this interestingly in Exodus chapter 21 verses 28 to 30. This just helps us give us a sense of what this word murder means in the Bible. Exodus chapter 21 verse 28 uh, to 30 Speaking of murder, says this, if a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the, of, of goring, and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up and that, and that bull kills a man or a woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death, okay? If the owner knew that that was a dangerous bull and he did nothing about it and that bull takes a human life, that owner is responsible for that act. We call that manslaughter or negligence or, or this, kind of like it. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse eight, uh, God's instruction to, to his people, he says, when you build a new house, make a parapet, which is like a fence. They had, they had flat top roofs that they would use uh, uh, you know, for storing stuff. Um, and so uh, when you build a new house, make a parapet, uh, a wall or a fence around the top so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. So if you don't build a parapet around the roof of your house and someone falls and dies, you are held responsible. You are guilty of this word we find here in the sixth command. You are guilty of murder. Why? Because you were negligent. You acted with disregard for human life. And that's really what this word means, murder. What does it mean? It means a disregard for human life. What does that look like today for us? Maybe you don't have any ox that you need to be kept penned up. Well, what does that look like for us that we might live with disregard for human life? Well, well, maybe that's just speeding down the highway and weaving in and out and tailgating someone on Highway 7 into the city when you're late for work. You know, that's something that's kind of reckless, endangers Others, let alone yourself. So, so that might be a, f- a form of that. Or maybe today with COVID and all these guidelines and, and, and maybe for you to, to not follow those, to wear a mask where you are mandated to wear a mask or you know, if you've got some of those symptoms of COVID and, and it's been made clear that you're not supposed to leave the house and go to crowded places if you have any of these symptoms, but you just disregard that and say, it doesn't matter. I don't want to alter my life. You know, I, I've got this thing that I want to be a part of. And so you go and participate, even though you have these symptoms that could potentially be dangerous to the life of another person should they contract COVID. Well, that might be an example today, a very relevant example of exhibit, exhibiting a disregard for Life. So this command, what I want us to see is that this command is all about protecting and promoting human life. And you know what, if you're going to live protecting and promoting human life, uh, 
um, sometimes that will involve killing. And so if you've ever read the Bible, you've maybe noticed, yeah, there's a fair bit of killing in the Bible. There's a lot of blood that is shed, and much of that blood is shed as a result of murder, the unjustified act of taking another person's life. But there are times when you see killing that is done, which is permitted by God, or even at times commanded by God because it is done to protect and to promote Life And so some examples of this might be, you know, a just war. If you think back to World War II and Hitler just ravaging the world and moving through Europe and, and, and just throwing Jews into the ovens and killing millions and millions of people and brave men and women in Canada and other places. We need to stop this. We need to protect and to promote life. And so others went and they took other lives in order to protect and to promote life. Now us allies, we didn't come out of World War II without any blood on our hands. You know, maybe you've watched some of these documentaries, the bombing of Dresden, just bombs in it, uh, indiscriminately dropped over a whole city and killing just thousands of innocent people. So I mean, no side came out of that war without some blood on their hands. But there is the possibility that to protect and to promote life actually involves the act of killing. And so we might see this in in the case of a just war or maybe in a case where you defend yourself or you defend your family from harm. So I remember once being in the car and one of my daughters, I can't remember who, she said to me, and we must have been talking a little bit about killing and and maybe it was even this command, but I remember her looking up to me and said, Daddy, if if someone broke into our house and they were gonna gonna hurt me, would, would you kill somebody? And I just without hesitation said, sweetie, I would absolutely kill anybody who is trying to harm you. And I would, and of course I wouldn't do it happily, but if I had to defend my family from harm, I would take another's life because sometimes that might be required to protect and to promote life. And so there's a difference between do not kill and do not murder. In fact, Moses, to whom these words were given, if you go earlier in the book of Exodus, I think Exodus chapter two, you find that uh, an Egyptian uh, soldier is beating an Israelite slave. Moses sees this and in an attempt to protect the life of that slave, that innocent person, he strikes and ends up killing this Egyptian soldier. And, and the word that's used there is the word for kill, but it's not the same word that we have here in Exodus 20, not the, uh, not the word here for murder. Okay, so th- again, this command is all about protecting and promoting life. And, and you know what? Murder doesn't just have to be the ending of another person's life, you know, like stopping their heart from beating. We destroy people, we murder people, not just with guns, but with greed. We need to see this. In fact, we have an example of this in the book of Isaiah, chapter five, verse seven and eight, and the words should be on your screen. These were words to the people of Israel, God's people. He says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in, and he looked for justice. He looked at his people, and he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the, hand, in, in the land. Okay, so did, did, you, did you just get that? 
God looked and he saw hands that were full of blood from bloodshed. What had happened? No, it hadn't been shooting or, or the using of knives, murder in that sense. What he saw were people that were being economically killed, okay? He saw the rich people exploiting the poor, buying up all the fields and all the land and pushing the weak and the vulnerable to the edges, Okay, and, and, and God looked at that and he called that bloodshed. He called that murder. And so, again, if, 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 uh, if to not murder is to promote and protect life, what that, what that doesn't just mean is that we don't end people's lives. It means that we, we help the weak. We protect and we promote the weak and the vulnerable, right? James said that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the widow and the orphan in their distress. Okay, that's what it means to keep this command. It means to help the helpless, to help the weak and the poor. And so we need to see that here as well. And, and you know, and, and some people will rightly say to those who are pro-life, and, and I and we as a church, we are pro-life. Uh, and, and, and some will, and maybe rightly say, you're not really pro-life, you're just anti-abortion. Because as soon as that little kid comes into the world, you don't care uh, about them, about their, about their health, you know, access to medicine and poverty and racism and all of these things. You're not really pro-life, you're anti-abortion. And you know what, to some degree that's true. It's possible to be anti-abortion and not be pro-life, okay? Because we are called as God's people to protect and promote life wherever we find it. So that's the first thing that we need to see in this command, to protect and to promote life. The other thing that we need to see is that this command is about protecting human life, human life. That word murder here in the Hebrew always refers to the taking of the life unlawfully of another human being. It's the act of one human against another human. And it's never a word that's used of animals who are committing the act or of animals uh, of whom the act is being committed. In other words, according to the Bible, you cannot murder a cat. And, and I know we will hear this, especially in our society more and more. We will refer to like maybe, maybe the immoral killing of animals as murder. And we have to be careful here. The Bible never speaks of that as murder. Now it is wrong. It is possible to wrongly treat animals. We were created and called by God to be stewards of his creation. And that includes how we treat the world around us, how we treat animals. We are responsible for that. We are responsible to be good stewards. But today there kind of is a movement that would try to erase any distinction between human life and other animal life. We are just the smartest of animals. And of course we are an animal. We are a mammal. We share much in common with the rest of the animal kingdom um, and, and so many today are trying to kind of erase that distinction. And so there's that organization, uh, PETA, I think, or PETA, uh, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And the co-founder of that organization a number of years ago, he famously said this. He said, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. You get that? He said, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. At the end of the day, we as humans might be the smartest animal, but all we are are animals like any other animal 
and that our life is no more valuable and we should be treated no differently than we would any other animal. There is no distinction whatsoever. And this is a more and more common perspective in our world today. But the Bible says no. And this command says no, that humans are set apart. What sets humans apart? Well, we find the answer in Genesis chapter nine, verse six. It says this, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. There you have it. We shall not shed the blood or take the life of another human being. Why? Well, we have the reason here. For in the image of God has God made mankind. God has made us, human beings and humans alone, in his image image, which is to say that human life is different. It is sacred in a way that other life is not sacred. Why? Because we bear God's image. Now, what does that mean? Okay, when God in Genesis 1 and 2 created all that he created, he made animals, and then he made human beings, and he said when he made human beings that he made humans, man and woman, in his image What does that mean that we as human beings bear God's image in a way that no other creature does? Well, it means at least a few things. It means that human beings were created by God not just to live and procreate and do our thing. We were created by God to know God, to actually fellowship and have relationship with God, to worship him, to know him, to have communion. We were made for relationship with personal relationship with God. We were created with the capacity with the ability to actually know God in a way that our dogs and our cats and our cows weren't. And so so that's part of what it means to be made in God's image. We are made for this relationship with God that he wants to have with us. It also means that we were made to represent God in the world. He made man and woman and he said, now you you bear my image. I want you to go and I want you to represent me and I want you to fill the earth and I want you to to be stewards of what I have made as my image. So, So we are like mirrors of God into the world representing his character, his purpose, his values in the world. We are kind of like stand ins for him. That's part of what it means to be made in God's image. We were made to know God and to represent his purposes in the world. Only human beings were made for that purpose. Murder then, if we just think about this, murder then to to, to take the life of another human being in an unjustifiable way, is it's it's like burning an effigy of God. And we've all seen on TV, you know, the protests where they, they take a bunch of straw and they make the form of a man and they put clothes on it and maybe it's, you know, some political figure, something like that, and then they hang it up and maybe they light it on fire. The mob beats that effigy with sticks. And, and that's kind of a picture of what murder is. We as human beings are like an effigy, a representation of God in the world. And so then to strike against that image is actually an act of defiance and an attack upon God himself. Okay, so murder is a, is a willful subtraction of God's glory, as someone has put it. It is violence against God. And it's so important that we understand that that's, that's really what murder is at its essence. Because today, like in, in our society, I might call today like Western secular society, 
Now, murder is deemed to be wrong in around us. We, I would say we kind of live in an anti-murder society, thank God, to a degree, because murder means something a little bit different in Western secular society than it does in the Bible with, with the biblical perspective, because in our society today, murder primarily is, um, is harm done to a, a person, to that person, to the victim and to their family. So primarily, it's an act against the one being murdered. And so if that's really what murder is, then, then it's the will of the person that would be murdered that really is de- decisive and whether it's justifiable or not, right? It really comes down to the will of the person, of the victim, and so if that's how you kind of define what murder is, well then, I guess, I, you, you could see then how abor- abortion then, in that mindset, wouldn't necessarily be viewed as the unjustifiable or immoral ending of human life. We all know that, that when that egg meets that, that sperm and there's conception, we all know that human life begins in that moment. That's not really up for debate. But people will say, well, but you know, for a period of time, you know, that life maybe doesn't have brain waves or can't feel pain or doesn't have personhood and doesn't have a will until a certain point. And so then to end that life really is not immoral because it is not against the will of the one whose life is being ended, right? And yet that person is a person in the making, a person that God is making. Or if we have that Western secular mindset about murder as, as the violation of somebody else's will, then, then you could kind of make a case for what we call, used to be called euthanasia, or then um, called doctor-assisted suicide, and now it's kind of more palatable, it's made, it's medical assistance in dying, where you know, if, if for some reason you, know, you, you have a terrible disease or you're, you're in enough pain, a person can choose to have their life ended by, by having someone, a medical professional, actually end their life. To, to kill them, and as long as that's not done against their will, then I guess, in that definition of murder, then that's not an immoral act. But in the Bible, we have to understand that murder isn't primarily or only harm done to a person against their will, but, but murder is primarily about harm done to God and to his image, and to his rightful place as, as, the, as the life giver and the ruler of life. Murder is about harm done to God's image. And so abortion then is destroying the life that God is creating. God is giving life and we are ending life. Euthanasia or doctor assisted suicide is, is taking upon ourselves God's role and, and, and saying we will decide, we will decide when life is worth living and when life is not worth living. And so what we are saying is not all human life is, is equally valuable or worthy dignity. So, so we become the, the arbiters of, of what life is worth living and what life isn't worth living. And if you keep going down that road and you're gonna see that go wider and wider. And so Richard Dawkins, kind of one of the most prominent uh, atheist thinkers out in the world today, he, he, he said it's, immoral, it's actually immoral to not abort a child if you know that that child has Down's syndrome. It's actually immoral to not 
end its life. And so we can take on ourselves what belongs to God alone, which is deciding for ourselves what life is worth living and what life is not worth living. And that's very dangerous. That's not our responsibility. That is God's alone. We are commanded then to protect and to promote all human life. All human life is sacred. All human life without distinction is worthy of dignity from conception to one's final breath. All human life is worthy of dignity because each human being equally represents and bears God's image all right, so maybe at this point you're feeling, you're feeling okay about yourself. Maybe, maybe you agree with everything I've said and, and you feel like there are people that struggle with this, but this is kind of far away from you. But it's about to get a lot closer to us and I think you knew this was gonna happen because Jesus is going to show us that this command is deeper than anybody understood. Jesus is gonna show us that actually we are all murderers. He says this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter five, verses 17 to 22, and and we'll read verse 17 and skip to verse 21. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus says, I have come to show you what the law really means, and I have come to obey it fully. And then he says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, but anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So he just restates the sixth command, right? Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you that anyone who is angry, listen to this, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means you fool, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. So what Jesus says is hatred, malice, unresolved anger towards another in our heart is to murder. It's a violation of this sixth command. And it makes sense, right? Because um, Jesus said elsewhere that uh, all, all evil things begin in the heart. It's out of the heart that flow um, greed and lust and murder. It's out of the heart. Murder begins in the heart. And so, so taking another's life might be the fruit, but it's the fruit of the root of anger and hatred and unforgiveness and malice, and you can't separate the fruit from the root. That root will produce that fruit, and you can't say, you know, the fruit is the problem without saying the root is the problem because the tree is the problem. What Jesus is saying is we all have like a murder tree within our hearts. We, we, We have these roots. We have these roots of anger and bitterness that if go unchecked can manifest itself in doing harm to another and so, so what Jesus is saying is that, that uh, the most common murder weapon, it's not a knife, it's not a gun. The most common murder weapon are words and thoughts. And so my question for you, a few questions to make this personal. Have you ever found pleasure in another person's pain? You ever kind of smiled on the inside when your opponent or that person that had hurt you, your enemy, some some bad thing befell them like you felt some a bit of happiness in that I have many times 
And if you're honest, I'm sure you would say, yeah, I have too. Uh, Have you ever put someone down behind their back out of anger? You ever put someone down behind their back? Ever gossiped about another person? Of course you have. We all have this problem. We're all murderers, Jesus says. So, So murder isn't just ending another person's life, stopping their heart from beating. Murder, Jesus says, it's deeper. It's about killing somebody's reputation. It's about killing somebody's spirit. It's about tearing them down instead of building them up. And we are called to build up people, not just people we like, not just people that have done good to us. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're also called to love our enemy. We are called to build up others. And so John would say, 1 John 3, 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Well, there it is in black and white. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Okay, so so the command is really about showing us that we need to seek the good of others. We need to build them up. As Paul says in Ephesians uh, 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building others up according to their need. Okay, to keep the sixth command means to seek the good of all, to build up others. We are called to love our neighbor. We are called to love our enemy. We are called to love all indiscriminately. And of course, we haven't done that. And maybe, maybe we've gotten better, but we don't perfectly do that. We all have this problem. We've all fallen short. We're all murderers at the end of the day. So, so what is the what is the Solution to this heart disease that we have called anger, bitterness, mal- what is the solution to that? Well, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter two, verse three and four, he said, all of us are dead in our sins and transgressions and all of us by our nature are deserving of God's wrath, his, his righteous judgment on us. We're deserving of that. But God, who is rich in mercy, because he loves us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. And this is the good news. Even though we are murderers in our hearts, God is merciful towards us. God makes us alive in Christ Jesus. And so, so Paul says the antidote to hate is grace, God's grace. The antidote to anger and unforgiveness in our life is God's mercy. A little bit later, Ephesians 4, verse 31, 32 makes it very clear. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. And how do you do that? Well, 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 here's what we need to do in its place because these commands are just not about what we're not to do, but they're also about, well, then what do we do in, in place, in its place? It's not just about not killing people. It's about what then do we do? And this is what he says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There you have it. Get rid of all anger and malice and hatred and rage. How? by being kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just, and this is the key, just as in Christ, God forgave you. There's the solution. God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is the only one who perfectly bore God's image. 
okay? He, he, he came into this world, he took on flesh, he became a man, and yet in this life he, he had perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. And, and, and he f- obeyed God's will perfectly. He said, I have come and I only do the will of my Father, I do nothing else. He lived in this life in perfect obedience to God's purposes for him. And in that, he became the perfect image of God that we were called to be, created to be, but fell short of being. He never felt short. He perfectly bore the image of our Father in his life, and then that perfect one laid down his life for you and for me on the cross. He willingly laid down his life, and his blood was shed in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us into right relationship with God, so that our sins may be forgiven so that we may know God, we may know his favor, we might have the gift of life forever with God. And so the one who creates us in his image now redeems us through Jesus in order to restore that broken image within us. The one who gave us physical life now gives us spiritual life. And so grace is the solution to our problem, to the anger problem. God's grace, which is a gift that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. When we receive that forgiveness through faith and repentance, we receive God's grace. It it is not of our own, it is a gift of God and that grace comes into our life and it changes our hearts. It changes our minds and our thoughts and our desires and, and that grace that we receive, God's grace, um, it, it's, it's now something that when it's at work in us enables us to offer that same grace as a gift to those around us who need it. So grace is a gift that we receive and that we are called to give to others as image bearers of Jesus in the world. You know, we represent him We represent God's grace and we are called to give it. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we say that and that's what that means is is, is just as we have received grace from God through Jesus, now we who know him are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, enabled by God to be able to give that grace to those who need it, to forgive those who have wronged us, who we need to forgive to return good for evil. We are image bearers of Jesus in the world. So knowing God's love leads us to love others. So the solution is knowing God's grace. We'll never be able to uproot anger and find forgiveness where that's difficult without knowing and celebrating and being reminded regularly and fixing our mind and meditating on the greatness of God's grace for us. That's the key. So I mean, are you struggling with any of that? Are you struggling in any situation, in any relationship in your life with any of this stuff, with anger? Has bitterness taken root? Malice, you just want to see harm come to another. Maybe there's this unforgiveness. You've just not been able to find forgiveness. Maybe you've wronged another and you haven't been able to repent. You can't find repentance. You've been unrepentant. Um, Is there any of that in your life? What do we need to do? Where do we start? Well, we need to start, first of all, by receiving God's grace. 
through faith in Jesus, the repentance of our sins and putting our, our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We need to receive God's grace first. And, and if we are those who have received God's grace through Jesus Christ, if we've been forgiven and made right with God, we need to celebrate God's grace. I think that's the key. We need to celebrate it. And the more we kind of fix our minds on that grace and we celebrate and enjoy God's grace on us and our sin, the more that we will find the ability, the power to give it away to others, the ability to build up others, to seek the good of others, to pray for the good of others who would do us harm or have done us harm. And I think that's just a great practice to pray for those that it's hard to love or hard to forgive to pray for them, to ask for God's favor on them, to seek their good in prayers is, will, will help reshape our, our hearts and uproot anger and bitterness and allow us to be more and more life givers as God is a life giver. God is a life giver. He's given spirit, physical life and, and through Jesus, he's a life giver. He's given us spiritual life and we are called to be the same. We bear God's image. We are called to be those who are life givers, life affirmers to protect and to promote life wherever we find it, whether it's in the womb or the oldest of age and everywhere in between in every situation. We are called to be life givers, to build up others. So, so church, when we hear that sixth command, those four simple words, you shall not murder, let's not just so quickly go, well, of course I've never murdered. And I would never do something like that. And, and before we move on too quickly, let us really hear God's heart in that command. And his heart is this. It, it's Christian church. Value all Human life as sacred. Seek to protect and to promote it wherever you find it. Build up and love others. That's what we're called to do in Jesus' name. And he will enable us to do it by his power at work within us. So as we bring this to a close, my question for you is, how can you do this this week? How can you do that? How, how can you protect and promote life this week, whether in your house, in your family, whether it's, whether it's in your workplace, you're in your community, in your neighborhood, or in the world on the other side of the ocean this week, how can you embrace this command? That's what I want you to ponder and, and to pray. And I just want us to go into prayer actually right now and, and, and let's just bring this question before God and just say, God, search our hearts. Just kind of show me if there's anything in, in, in my life that that isn't right you know if I'm harboring any anger if there's any unforgiveness if I'm in danger of murdering anyone in my heart Lord just I bear my heart to you show me where that is and then help me Lord just to be free of that to love instead and so you know watching at home there why don't you just take a moment just to bow your head with me and I just want to give you a minute God can can hear us all and he can speak to us all right now and just just take a moment there to, to ask God, well, well, first of all, before you ask, just to thank God for the grace that he has lavished on you richly through Jesus Christ, that even though we are murderers in our hearts, God has loved us, and he, Jesus laid down his life for us, and he has forgiven us, and given us this. Just take a moment and, and, and just meditate on that and celebrate that and thank God for his grace. Let's just do that now.
when you've done that, just take another moment and, and ask God, God, is just there, am I, am I in danger of murdering in here right now? Is there any situation in my life uh, in, in which like, I'm not obeying this command? Lord, show me if, if that is there, and Lord, help me this week to, to take a step forward in, in, in obedience. Just take a moment to, uh, to ask that of God. Father, uh, your word says that we can love you because you first loved us and, and you demonstrated your love for us and that Jesus died on the cross for us. And so today, God, we are reminded of your grace and how great it is, how undeserved it is that, that we have all of your riches at Christ's expense and we can be forgiven and we can be free and we can have your favor and we can know that we belong to you and that you seek our good and that we have this life that we can enjoy with you forever through Jesus. And we just thank you for all that you have given us through your son. We celebrate that. Lord, I just pray that that grace that lives within us would just work in our hearts and our minds this week. Lord, in just the re different relationships and situations we find ourselves, Lord, if there's anything in our heart, in our mind, in our actions, Lord, that we need to change this week in order to obey this command. Lord, I just pray that you would give us the humility to be honest about that, Lord, and give us the faith just to believe that by your help, by your power, that we can do that, that we can forgive, that we can confess, we can make things right, we can love and build up others. And so, Lord, just help us to represent you and your image well in the world this week, to protect and to promote all life as sacred. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, church, before you go about your week now, uh, just reminded that as you go into your week, uh, you are a bearer of God's image. And that's really what we mean when we read these last words together, when we declare this as a church, that we are the church this week, wherever you go, it's really a way of saying, wherever we go, we bear God's image in the world. We are about his purposes. So let's just declare this together. Uh, you can join me in reading the all caps. We are the church. So wherever you go, Christ goes. If someone asks, what is your church like? Let's tell them, I am what my church is like. If someone asks, what does your church do? Let's tell them, I am doing what my church does. We are the church, and we may be the only contact that someone has with Jesus this week. So though they may not yet belong to the church, we can bring the church to them.